0: be
1: friendships
0: oh my god friendship friendship so are we recording we are recording folks we're live we're fuck it we'll do a live we'll we're live, a, live we'll at, it at the it at i was gonna say my address we're live at,
1: no come Beep. on truly darkly I have to tell you something that happened last night right away that I've been like
0: You've been sitting on this whole time. We had dinner, on it. we had a romantic meal.
1: And I've been really good about not telling you this, but I I so um I went to a holiday party last night with a I mutual saw the friend pictures. of ours. Um I went with Jordan. And yeah. she and I took the subway it's not clear, I'll be honest. We were chit chatting and I'm not sure if we took it one stop too far. Or if it didn't stop at all at our stop because it was in the midnight hour when things get dicey, mm,
0: the min- the witching hour, um,
1: of and the
0: MTA, yes.
1: So <laughs> that's actually a funny idea. <laughs> yeah, um, the the Blair Witch of MTA. We get off the train because we have no options mm-hmm. at that moment, and as we're walking up the stairs, I, I I gotta go ahead and call myself out for having excellent subway manners. I always. Wait for everyone to get off before I try to fucking push my way on. I also, when I'm using the stairs, hug the wall. So I'm hugging the right side of the wall walking up. And as I'm walking up, I'm checking lift to see what our situation is going to set us back. Yeah. And a guy walks past (gasps) us. He's outside the subway, so as we're coming up the stairs, he starts to go down them, and he gets right in my face, and he smells of booze, and he yelled, get your fucking face out of your fucking phone! <gasps> and Jordan and I oh. were like, like the air like vanishes. Of course. And he was like Wall Street looking.
0: Oh my god, you met Leonardo to DiCaprio? Be, yes. <laughs>
1: he was the wolf of Wall Street. No. No. <laughs> This guy was the fucking bitch of Wall Street. Fuck him. And Jordan goes, "Fuck you." And he she goes, did? "Yes, right away. She's she was on it." I was like just like,
0: "I love that.
1: I wanted to be that girl and I was truly jaw dropped." And Jordan goes, "Fuck you." And he goes, "No, fuck you, you fucking bitches." And it was like out of control. So we we're, we're both like, "What a weirdo." And we get back on our phones and figure out Lyft. Meanwhile, Three minutes basically go by. He had gone down the wrong subway stairs, so he had to resurface.
0: Was he on his phone?
1: And go No. Damn. He had to resurface and go past us again to go to the other subway stairs. And then uh, he walks by us and he goes, you okay? And then goes down the other stairs. Is that the weirdest, craziest person you've ever heard of?
0: You okay? Like, was that his apology?
1: Don't know. Did you he he said think it maybe in, you were, like, he did different people? Re- he didn't say it and wait to receive answer. He said it like he was being a different guy. Like, he decided he, like, went down into the bowels of hell, Satan himself, and then he came back up and was like, I've had some time to think about it, three minutes to be exact. I've calmed down.
0: What is it about people that think they can just undo the shitty things they do? by the most recent nice thing they do what is that
1: that is him (laughs) and it i can tell you that it didn't undo anything but it took me like a full second a full fucking five seconds to be like oh shit that's the guy that just yelled at us and we were both like whoa whoa whoa
0: what that's really bizarre i hate that for you i hate that not because of the latter moment, but because of the first moment. And when you had said how you wanted to be the person to yell "fuck you," oh my
1: god, I have to tell you what I actually did say when she said "yelled fuck you." But you're like,
0: "I'm looking for my lift."
1: Worse, I go, "That guy's a rapist," and I said it really loud.
0: <laughs> <laughs> that's Wait, what I that's said. actually better. I um, think that's. I better. don't know what that
1: is, but I think... that is what that was. What my instinct made me do.
0: See, I feel like. I am an assertive person. I generally know what to say. But those moments where you're completely gobsmacked and you can't formulate a coherent sentence or, like, the dig that's going to fucking get them. Yeah. That breaks my heart because we've all been there. hmm And for a friend, it's easier to be like, fuck you or, like, the person as a spectator. But when it happens to you, it's like – like, there are moments where – People will crazy. People will say things on the street, and it will hit me for some reason. I can't deal. Yeah, there's something about it where it's just an affront and so shocking. Mm-hmm. And again, it's it's totally similar to to when you have a fight with someone and you y- you do that. Well, screw oh, you, that and noise. then I'm familiar. you go home. And then you think of the greatest fucking things to say, and it's too late.
1: Do you think that's like why <laughs> we that's an are ar- doing an this? For, well, it's an argument for being like an actor or a writer, right? Because then you get to be like,
0: you get to have those. This is going to go
1: the exact way I need it to go.
0: Yes, you to feel like a it. badass
1: yes. motherfucker. <laughs> Speaking of things like out of control in the neighborhood, um, we're on like one of those neighborhood like complain about everything. Uh, List serve things. Yeah. And on it, I guess, everyone's talking about the subway stop by my house. It's been problematic. Not that one. Oh, the other one. That one. one. Yeah. And they're like... We're not telling
0: you in case our fans want to find us. We don't know.
1: Listen, we know you guys are crazy. You're going to find us. You always climb on top of the tour bus.
0: (laughs) And it's exhausting. And our driver's like, girls... He calls us girls because he's kind of a misogynist. Yeah, and he's always like, "girls." He's like, "girls," and we said, "Tom, Tom, what, Tom, relax, man. What do you want us to do? It. Our
1: fans love us, Tom.
0: Tom, relax." And then
1: he was like, "I'm not Tom. I'm one of your fans." And then we were like, "No!" Get off
0: the bus! And then we exited. Do you remember in, when you were a child and you would do the exits of the emergency exit on a bus off the back?
1: No, <laughs> I wouldn't touch that. What the fuck are you talking about? Wait,
0: you didn't have emergency bus. Yeah, we did, but I didn't touch it. Well, you left off the back. They opened what? the door. You no, didn't train you did it. Not? It, was, it was like a fire escape thing, and you would go out the back and you would hop down and hop out the back of the bus. Shut
1: your face! You yeah, got to do that. I got to do that. I'm a hundred percent jealous in this did moment have, and confused. Did
0: you have tornado drills?
1: Nope.
0: See, we had tornado drills. You had earthquake drills. Yeah.
1: Colorado? Fuck no. We Did had you know any drills? We had zero drills. I think we had a fire drill at school. It was boring.
0: We had tornado drills probably the first Tuesday of every month or something. Maybe that's too many drills. But what that's you a do lot is of you Tuesdays. You go into the, you go, I remember it was at nine o'clock and you just hear. Because it was a siren that turned. <laughs> yeah. So it would like. Broom! And you'd be like, oh, fuck. And you'd go out into the hallway and you'd crouch down on your knees like a child's pose. But your head would be facing the wall because the hall didn't have any windows because you have to get away from windows. Right, right. And you crouch down and you take your hands and you put them behind your neck.
1: What? So glass will pierce your hands instead of your neck. Yeah. That's beautiful. And
0: you sit in this little crouchy tight, tight position on the wall. (laughs)
1: <laughs> oh my God! I want Every, a picture of all the little kids the doing little kids, that. The little kids—it's actually it's very dark, sweet, but adorable. It's so
0: cute! It's truly darkly, Green. Kidly. <laughs> <laughs> Just kidding. Okay, so these kids. Speaking the great okay.
1: segue, I guess like at the other subway stop, a bunch of kids were getting off the subway the other day, and a crazy person started yelling at all of them and exposed himself. So, uh, super why is bummer.
0: never a woman who exposes herself? I
1: love my neighborhood, by the way. Um, <laughs> but why
0: is it always just a penis? Why can't, like, no woman is like, check this
1: out. <laughs> oh, speaking of loving my neighborhood, I just, I want to show you something. I was walking around the other day being like, this neighborhood that I've chosen to live in is amazing, has amazing things. This place just opened up. Will you tell our readers? Oh. <gasps> What the name of the stores is? It's. Called...
0: <laughs> There's a store around here called Chocolate for Ladies. It just says chocolate, and then in tiny font, for ladies. For ladies in tiny font, and it's and a red. Just... And I go, is this a period store? Do they just have like period paraphernalia? What I like really want to do hot water bottles?
1: It's go in there. With some guy friends and have them ask if it's cool for them to buy stuff or what. Like be like, <laughs> look, if, we, if we're if we going to buy something, first of all, can we? Or like it's the kind of well, place that you can. chocolate
0: for ladies. Well, sure.
1: Can they buy chocolate that they don't intend to give to ladies? Can they buy chocolate to just consume <laughs> themselves at their leisure? Like I just want to know, is it best recommended for ladies only? Wait, Quinn. If so, why? Did you get a haircut? No, I've never gotten a haircut <laughs> like ever in my life. Why does it look
0: like your hair looks different?
1: Um, am I wearing a scrunchie? No, I don't know. I don't know. Well, I thought it looked different. I did wash it. That's it. Okay.
0: Chocolate for ladies, though, huh?
1: Yeah. So
0: I actually somebody think, to think that about be...
1: for the holidays.
0: Well, dear readers, I don't know if you know, but Quinn is managing my hinge profile. Oh my god, dear readers.
1: Um, last time Carrie and I hung out, she was like, look, haven't had a lot of luck. This might have been, we might've talked about this on the I think podcast. we talked, I
0: think the idea came during recording. Oh, good. So I everyone's going to
1: even be like, wow, they're really following through. These, these women are professional. They deserve some chocolate for ladies. <laughs> uh, you can send it to us. Um, At just our kidding. address. Beep. We have no address. Um, <laughs> so I've been doing great on the hinge, as I call it. <laughs> I. Uh, uh, so was cool t- here's what on happened. Her yeah, I, go ahead.
0: I had my straight friend curate my Hinge profile, and then I'm having my married friend Quinn manage it. And on it, I let everyone know that Quinn is managing my Hinge profile and she's in control. And so Quinn has been getting messages that say, "Quinn, I'd love I'd to like pass to go this- out with Carrie. <laughs> it's the best. I really hope I pass the test. It's honestly, it's a great idea. It." I just feel like it's so shallow when I'm swiping left and right. It just feels icky to me. And so if somebody else can I feel manage good about it, it.
1: I feel good about it. I feel um, great about it. Although I am looking right now at it since we're talking about it. And there's um, a guy that likes you who is um, six feet tall.
0: Okay, sure. I'm, I'm not like height isn't the most important thing to me. He's
1: super handsome. He's a risk okay. manager at a bank. Yeah. All his shots are of him um, alone wearing, like, perfectly torn jeans and, like, an amazing scarf. Well, he's a
0: risk assessment guy. He knows what works.
1: And he has, like, the look-like-he-may-have-smelled-a-fart model face happening.
0: (laughs) Does he have a picture, like, at that Dumbo location?
1: 100%. (laughs) He's in Dumbo. The light is perfect. The, like, fun picture is, like, him laughing. The serious picture is him, like... Sitting and being like, what am I doing with my life? And right. then he's like, graffiti. You know what I mean?
0: Oh, he's, a, he's trying to... He's, he's, he's photographing edgy.
1: And it <laughs> says that what he really wants is someone with a sense of humor. How did he say it? I want someone who has a sense of humor. Well,
0: that's clear. And you um, know, it's important when you ask for someone with a sense of humor to ask it in the most serious way. I want someone... With a sense of humor,
1: he knows what he wants. Harry. He knows what he wants. It's not you, but <laughs> I um, don't have a
0: sense of humor.
1: No, I'm just looking at this guy, and that's not actually what he wants. He's teasing. <laughs> he wants a like a he wants
0: he wants an someone influencer. who lets- laughs.
1: He wants an influencer.
0: Um, uh, dear readers, I am
1: not an influencer. Nope he he, uh, okay so on these I've noticed like a lot of times they're like what's your best travel story and people write cute things they'll be like I was in Maui and I got tripped by an elephant and knocked out a tooth and it'll be funny because I'll like tell you the story when we go on the date or somebody will be like the trip where I ended up getting my appendix taken out um, beachside by a (laughs) surgeon that was drunk and you're like what and you are like Okay, I that's fun because this. you're doing an icebreaker, and I do want to hear that story. This guy, because you can, I think, pick, like, I'm going to tell people best travel story. So you, you, you would pick think your own if you don't have a great travel story. You don't share it. Definitely, that doesn't need to be a thing on your profile. Absolutely. This guy's best travel story. Ooh. Wait for it. Ooh, ooh, Best ooh. travel story. Went on a road trip. L.A. to Las Vegas. <laughs> So, I think I'm going to yes him, obviously. You will have to go on the date and you have to be Wait, like. can you
0: yes him? I'm said dying yes. to know. I'm dying. I'm dying to know what happened between LA and Las Vegas. I, I mean. am
1: pins and needles the when I read two Hours
0: that. that passed?
1: What? I tell. Did you listen to the radio or a podcast? <laughs> did you listen to Truly Darkly Creepily? Was the window up <laughs> the whole time? Or was it down a convertible? Here and there? Oh, my God. Oh this my guy God. would be in a convertible. He
0: would for sure be in a... Here's the thing about dating apps. They're kind of terrible. They so are I think...
1: awesome. I've never been on one. And <laughs> this has been the most fun I've had uh, forever, for my whole life.
0: <laughs> it's my favorite thing that you have control of it. It's really my most favorite thing.
1: Listen, I don't want to make fun of this guy. A sense of humor. Let me be clear that the only reason I feel okay <laughs> about making fun of this guy is he is very obviously... Very, very handsome, very tall and very rich. So he has it just fine.
0: He's fine. He can handle two women speaking. He said on he a likes podcast. a sense of humor. <laughs> 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 what if you just reply to that LOL? <laughs> <laughs> I like a sense of humor and reply L O L Oh my god I'm doing it. It's so good. I think that's a good idea. He he or L O L, yeah. Okay, or, okay, okay. Or are rolling on the floor laughing. <laughs> R O is that one of them? What is it? Rolling on the R O T F L. Too long. It's too long. But that's you got to do a long one. Okay. Okay. R O T F L. L O L O L O L O
1: L O L O M G. I love sense of humor, <laughs> and it's
0: just you laughing. Yeah. I really like that idea. <laughs> to prove
1: it. Um. <laughs> all right. Let's let's get down okay. to the nitty grits. I do want, you-
0: I want to go first? Okay.
1: Okay, Greedy.
0: Greedy McGreederson. No, because I just researched and it's coming in hot. All right, do it. Okay. So, dear readers.
1: By the way, I just want to introduce... This is Carrie Ipema.
0: Oh, I'm Carrie. You don't need to know who that is. No, I'm kidding. It's Quinlan Posner. Hey, guys. And you're listening to truly... Darkly free. Bling. Bling. Okay, here we go. Um, So, the main source is um, obviously... My true love. Wikipedia. Wikipedia. Um, So, this is a story of Georgia Tan.
1: Have you heard of Georgia Tan?
0: So, I found this story um, because someone on my Facebook posted this article. I think he's from Memphis, Tennessee. And so, this is a story that I think a lot of people know, and you'll see why. So, um, it's a story of Georgia Tan. Georgia Tan was born Balula George Tan. Balula. Balula is her first oh, I name. sort of love that. I love that name Balula. And do you would know what do her Blue parents for sure
1: it would be cute. Well,
0: all right, Beyonce.
1: Aesthetic one of Blue her names? Ivy. Oh, okay. okay, okay.
0: Do you know what her parents' names are?
1: Jumaferna. <laughs> and Blauderman.
0: Close. It's Balula and George. <laughs> 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 Which I actually love that cuz my name would then be Catherine Harry Ipema.
1: Oh, cute. What would your,
0: your name would be Raydell Larry Posner. <laughs> like if you just how uncreative of a name is that? It's not even a junior. It's, it's like a combo pack. We had a girl. We'll name mom's first name, dad's middle name. Call it a fucking day. So she's born in 1891 in Philadelphia, Missouri. 18 1891. 1891. Yeah. So we're oh. going. She's an old biddy. This I don't. Is, I don't think I know her. <laughs> Do you not know her? She's on Facebook. I met her. She's she's the worst. Um. But I love Belula George parents. Her name is Belula George. She goes by Georgia. We love a Georgia. Okay, so her dad, George Tan, was like a domineering guy. He was like a like a hard ass. He's a judge, um, and he wanted Georgia to be a concert pianist, like any typical parent would. So she takes piano from a young age and she goes to Martha Washington College in Virginia and she graduates with a degree in music. And then she took courses in social work in the summers at Columbia University in New York. So she's very well educated and turns out she fucking hates piano because anytime you set up a career for your children, they're not going to fucking like it. Do you know what I mean? So she wants to become a lawyer like her dad. But this is in the early 1900s. Like it's it's not going to happen for Georgia. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So under her father's tutelage, she starts studying law. Right. So he's like teaching her, becoming a professor. Um. She ends up taking the state bar exam in Mississippi and she passes it. So she's inteligente, but her father does not want her to practice law because it is unusual for women to practice law. Mm-hmm. Taylor's oldest time. Songs as as old as rhyme, as 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 and she didn't want to get married or have kids, so she chose to go into the one of the few careers that women of that time could do, which is social work. That unmarried women could do with social work. Got it. Right. So that's a little background. So in the early 1920s, she started working at the Mississippi Children's Home Society as the receiving director at the Kate McVille Powers Receiving Home for Children. So she was helping take kids in for adoption and all that good stuff. So in 1922, she ended up adopting a child
1: mm-hmm. named
0: June. She adopted June but knows June's mom, this Ann Atwood. I think this was a common practice in the early 20s is that people would adopt from single mothers. But June and Ann Atwood were tight.
1: Okay. Ann Atwood
0: worked at this home so as well. So she
1: basically was like a woman had a baby. Mm-hmm. And she was like, you don't want your baby because you're single. I'll well, take your baby.
0: Basically, Georgia was working at this children's home. She meets Anne. Anne has this baby June. Georgia, Georgia adopts, adopts June. June. Her and Anne are lesbians. They're in so love. she was adopting
1: her lover's child. Yes.
0: I don't know when their relationship started, though. i not. It wasn't clear well, when she adopted her. I wasn't there. I don't know. Yeah. So Anne was eight years younger than Georgia. Um, the two were dating. In 1924, Georgia was terminated from the Mississippi Children's Home Society for questionable child placement practices. Do you think it had to do with adopting June or was it other places? No, I think it was other places. Okay. And I think it will unfold very shortly. I'm about to watch it unfold. You're about to watch it. So she moved to Memphis, Tennessee with June, Anne, and Anne's infant son, Jack. Anne had another infant. I'm not sure when that worked out, but go Anne. So Anne ended up – I thought this was an interesting piece of information. Anne ended up changing her name or added this name Hollinsworth to the end of her name. So it's Anne Atwood Hollinsworth to make it look like she was widowed because she had a new baby and she was unmarried. clever hack. (laughs) Noted. Keep that in mind, dear readers. We'll file that away. What a cheat. What a cheat code that is. He died. (laughs) Nailed it. (laughs) Two women living together. Obviously, they were Boston married. But at that time, people were very suspicious of this as being a homosexual relationship because, spoiler alert, that's what it was. In Tennessee, Georgia started working at the Tennessee Children's Home Society. So not Mississippi, but the Tennessee version, um, which was the largest society in Tennessee. Tennessee. In 1924, she started working here. By the end of 1924, she took it over. She was in charge. She was the head of it. She used aggressive tactics in order to do so. It was in 1924 that Georgia, as the head of the Tennessee Society for Children, she started trafficking children.
1: What do you mean? hmm Is that what I think it means? It means it's... A sexual scenario? It's
0: not sexual.
1: Oh. So that's why you don't say sex trafficking. Mm-mm. You just say trafficking. She was trafficking. What does that mean? It means so, selling babies?
0: Basically. It means being like the highest bidder gets to adopt or... Sort of, but not really. So... She's working under the guise of an adoption agency. The society home is for children to be adopted, right? Okay. So Tennessee law prohibited, you know, selling children. I think like most, I don't know, it seems like a good idea to do so. Yeah, they're not grapefruits. They're not, yeah. No, no, no. You don't want to do that. In Tennessee, the law was you can place children into the homes. They would charge $7, which was in order to help file the mu- it's just the, sur- the service of placing mm-hmm. children. So mm-hmm. it was $7, right? So what Georgia did is she started to arrange out-of-state adoptions. And 80% of these out-of-state adoptions were in New York and California. And so between 1940 and 1950, the agency placed 3,000 children in just those two states, right? And so she would charge... Parents, $700, as opposed to Tennessee, $7. okay. Right? So another interesting fact is Tennessee was paying this home, the taxpayer was paying $61,000 to keep it running, but all of their adoptive children were headed out of state, right? And Mm -hmm. she was pocketing the $700 a pop. Right. So she had... Two women who worked with her um, and every three weeks they would each make a trip to um, New York and California respectively and they would bring about four to six babies in tow and they would set up shop at a hotel and interview parents and give them the babies So not a lot of background checks, not a lot of due diligence in any way. They just went on blank. They just went. mm -hmm, Yeah. She would charge them for things like background checks that she never did, expensive airfare. Like she just racked it all up and they all just wrote a check to Georgia Tan and she cast it in a personal account under a fake corporation name. So the fake corporation name was not Stealing Baby's Inc. Right. It was like some other name. Correct.
1: It's so sad. She's basically just, like, capitalizing off of people that
0: are desperate to start families. I hate to say it, dear readers. It's about to get worse. She pocketed 80 to 90 percent of the fees. She never reported this to the IRS. Between 1944 and 1950, um, adopts out 5,000 kids. Mm -hmm. It's a lot of money. That's a lot of cheddar. (laughs) So some famous families who adopted kids from her. Yeah. Joan Crawford. What? Her twin daughters, Kathy and Cynthia, no. were adopted from Fucking from Georgia. Well. Um, June Allison and Dick Powell, who were actors in the 1940s, they adopted a child. Um, there's a wrestler, Ric Flair, who I've never heard of, but he was one of the adoptees. So he was one of the adopted children. A New York Governor Herbert Lehman, who signed a law sealing birth certificates from New York adoptees in 1935, he also adopted a child through the agency. So, that's crazy that she adopted this many kids. But how do you adopt? How do you, how do you get these children? You might ask, dear readers, right? So, oh, can I guess? Yeah, please. Did she steal them from hospitals? Um, yeah, basically, she did everything. Oh. She did everything. Everything to get the babes. Everything to get the babes. So she would primarily look at low income areas, and it was in the '40s. She it was a common practice because there was no air conditioning that they would let the kids hang out outside. So if she saw a child alone on a on a porch, she would grab them and she would canvass poor parts of town. She would threaten legal action to a vulnerable parents and take their children away. She would dupe or coerce birth parents, especially poor single mothers, to turn their children over to custody under false pretenses. One of her victims, this woman Alma Simple, called her a stern-looking woman with close-cropped gray hair, round wireless glasses, and an air of utter authority. So she just walked—she looks like a grandma. She looks— Oh, so you're like, this this is not
1: somebody trying to kidnap my kid.
0: Exactly. She took children of inmates at Tennessee mental institutions and anyone who were wards of the state. She was a very well-connected person, which I'll get to in a minute. She's
1: running around kidnapping people.
0: Yes. And then
1: selling the kids. It gets worse. No, it doesn't. It
0: does. It really does. So parents would drop kids off at the nursery school. Like, single moms would drop their kids off at nursery school to go to work. And then when they would come back, they would say that the welfare um, agency had picked up and taken their kids because they were unfit mothers. Um, Children who were placed in orphanages because someone in the family had an illness or there was unemployment, they were adopted out from under them, and there was no record of where they went. Oh, my God. That guts me. To me – This to me, the next one is the one that got me. She documented taking children born to unwed mothers and they would go through the labor and they would say, oh, this child is sick. And they would take the child away. And then the mother would then ask for the child. How's the child doing? And they would say that the child had died and that. They did not have... They didn't want to show the mother.
1: I'm going to say something controversial here. Yeah. Dark as that is, I'd rather be the mom that is now under the impression... That her child is dead. That my child is dead than be the mom that dropped my kid off at fucking daycare and then went to pick them up and they're like, oh, someone took them and said this and then you can't fucking find them again because you would never, ever stop looking. You would never stop looking. You, you're, and, oh, that guts me. I just, somebody ever There's took, something
0: about deceiving yeah. someone, though, that they're dead. They're fucking dead. And then not. She I mean, would, the
1: whole thing is so sad and so It's horrifying. Up. So she. Like, h- truly.
0: Who? The coldest.
1: Who, how? Deadest heart. How? How? Would how. have to reside inside of you to do this.
0: She did minimal work uh, and background checks of these adoptive homes so sometimes children were adopted into homes that had child labor abusive homes like there was no due diligence whatsoever because it's It's all um, just a
1: money-making thing
0: exactly um children's files were being fictionalized so the parents didn't know the deal so if they had medical conditions and so when the parents would approach her and say hey you this is this is dishonest they have this medical blah 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 She would threaten the adoptive parents then with possible legal action. Mm -hmm. And she would force them to surrender their children that they had just adopted. So she was playing on all levels, right? So she had some accomplices. She knew this Memphis court family judge, Camille Kelly. Tan would find homes that couldn't properly care for children. And then Judge Kelly would then push it through their docket and – she would also sever custody for divorced parents. So if there was a divorce, she would remove custody from the mother and arrange for the adoption in that way. She worked with Memphis Mayor E.H., quote, Boss Crump was his name, which, great name. She had an incredibly lavish lifestyle. She was just raking in some money, most so much money. Um, and she had, was friends with prominent families, politicians, and she had legislators as friends. She was just really well-connected while kids were in her care before they would get adopted though a lot of them died because she mistreated the kids showed there was neglect physical abuse sometimes sexual abuse and murder um, there were no house and murder. And murder there were no housing facilities for while the kids waited in the 1930s tennessee had the highest infant mortality rate in the nation largely due to georgia tan mm. So, in 1943, this wealthy guy gifted the mansion to the society, so that it was a it was a you know intermediary house before these children would be adopted. So, it was an all female staff, and they all wore white nursing uniforms, even though most of them were completely untrained and some of them had substance abuse problems. Um, the children were sedated in this house, and those difficult to place ended up dying of malnutrition. Whoa. Doctors even would come in and say, you can't take any more kids. You can't take any more kids. And they would often prescribe medications or treatments or whatnot to these children, and she would ignore them. And so many kids died from completely treatable illnesses, including diarrhea. There was deaths due to diarrhea for these children. Some of the victims were buried um, in a cemetery, but the exact number is unknown, with estimates about 500 children's deaths. So not only is she stealing these children, she's killing children. Black market adoption... I'm sorry, do we need to take a break? I hope
1: this ends. I'm just like, please.
0: And then somebody set her on fire. So black market adoptions were not illegal at the time. They were considered ethically and morally (laughs) bad what yeah they weren't illegal because the reason was because it was
1: a cultural no-no it was a
0: cultural no-no but we didn't have to enforce it no i think what i read was that young unwed women were often ignored but i think when women were unmarried and gave up their kids i think they thought in a weird way they were protecting the women from black for for making no they didn't they didn't no one ever did so finally, in 1950, so this is 25 years plus, Tennessee Governor Gordon Browing, Browing, I don't know, launched an investigation into the society on September 11th, 1950, after reports of her selling children for profit. So he finally gets someone to investigate. She stole over 5,000 children. New York and California vowed to investigate. 5,000.
1: Just think about that number for a 5, second. 5,000 kids. Like, if you said 500, I'd be like, that's so many.
0: 5,000. I can't even wrap my mind. And there's no records of a lot of them. So they're.
1: Meaning there are people that never, that thought their kid died, that didn't report them missing, mm-hmm. that don't even fucking know that this was something that impacted them. That it did. I think
0: some of them, them it came up. I'm sure. Well, I imagine
1: if this case broke and was at all public, you'd be like, I had a baby that died. Wait a minute. Wait
0: a it? Yeah. Ugh. So the New York, what crazy, what's crazy to me is New York and California vowed to investigate, but they never did. So no children were restored to their parents. What? hmm No children were, well, there is one story that I can share with one you.
1: One in 5,000? Mm-hmm. So. I do like those numbers.
0: Right before, three days before the state ended up filing charges against the society. So the society, the home, shut down in 1950. Yeah. Three days before Georgia died. Before she ever, like, saw the light of court. Nothing. But guess how she died? Someone lit her on fire. I wish. I think there's something more poetic is she died of uterine cancer.
1: Hmm. Oh, that is interesting. Not good enough. Not good. No. Slash bad enough.
0: But nothing is good enough for that. Nothing nothing could ever repair the damage she did. To people's lives. She never had a biological child, right? Never. No, she adopted June, but she. It sounds like she hated children. Honestly, she sounds just heartless. I mentioned that a lot of the children had died. Nineteen of the children had died um, at the home. Were buried at Elmwood Cemetery with no headstones, um, and. Now there is a monument erected to the children whose lives were lost there. Um, Finally, adoption reform laws came to Tennessee in 1951. Mm -hmm. Her custom of creating false birth certificates for adoptees, which she did to hide the origins of the child, Uh um, became a standard practice nationwide. In 1979, the state adopted legislation requiring the state to assist siblings who are trying to find each other, while a bill that extended this provision to birth parents did not pass. So... In 79, they made a law that, like, siblings could find each other, but parents could not. In 1996, the state of Tennessee revised the process of obtaining adoption records by releasing them to adult adoptees of the Tennessee Children's Home Society upon receiving permission from any living birth parents. So even so though when sp- you
1: become 18, you're allowed to know who your birth parents are if your birth parents said that you were allowed.
0: The problem is, is some of these birth parents had no fucking idea that their children were not well, the yeah, adoption. yeah, I'm sure
1: the records are all fucked.
0: Prior to the 1920s, adoptions were very rare. Something like six or seven adoptions in Tennessee. After tan, um, there was 206 children per year in 1928. She believed ch- children should be taken from poor families and given to people of a higher type, is what she said. So this is a classist, evil fucking lady. Because of her willingness to engage a higher elite of people, including celebrities, adoption sort of became this privileged idea. It was not very in fashion, but because I think people paid for it, it became a bit more normalized and the Mm. stigma kind of was released from it, which I think is interesting. And I'll end with this one story because I think we could use a little light – in our lives. In 1990, the LA Times published a story of this woman, Alma Sipple. If you remember Alma Sipple, mm-hmm. she mentioned earlier about how this woman had an air of authority and her child was taken from her. Mm-hmm. Her daughter, Irma, was taken by Georgia Tan under the pretense of providing medical care. So she was one of the parents.
1: She's like, Your kid's sick. I'll mm-hmm. be right back.
0: So a few days later, Tan informed Sipple that her daughter had died of pneumonia and the child had already been buried without the mother there, even though she was totally grieved, Alma um, suspected her child was still alive, but she could never find her child. In 1989, she was watching one of our favorite shows, (gasps) Unsolved Mysteries. Oh, I thought you were going to say Friends. Go ahead. (laughs) (laughs) She's watching Unsolved Mysteries, and she recognized Georgia Tan as the woman who took her kid. Oh, fuck. She saw this fucking... Grandma-looking like, woman, and she was still out like, there. "That's my fucking, that's, that's that the bitch. woman, that's that bitch." And as the show had said, was you know, she wrote to Tennessee's Right to Know, which I think is a f- something that probably was created after the fact, you know, for this exact mm-hmm. reason. A volunteer agency in Memphis that reunites families separated by adoption. They soon found her daughter, whose name was Sandra Kimbrell. Apparently, Alma didn't want to freak her out, so she sent Aww. her daughter flowers with a note that said, please call here regarding family matters. And when she called, it was her mother and they <sighs> were reunited by phone. Oh, my God. So that's that's the only story that I could find. How old was the daughter? I mean, this was I'm 89. So the daughter probably she was, at, a grown at, woman. she was a grown woman. She had to be at the youngest 39 if it was in the 1950s but i assume oh it was God. you know she this was
1: woman was just robbing people of
0: their of their joy of their and love
1: of their life together like you can't get that back mm-hmm. <sighs> it's really bad it's really bad that's our verdict folks
0: <laughs> it's really fucking bad I'm sorry that story was a real bummer. That's okay, I'm but it was, really period, so like it was really true. It was really dark. It was
1: really creepy. Everything feels like garbage, so you might as well hand me all your garbage.
0: Yeah, I'm sorry that was tough. um But someone had posted about it and said, "I'm sure I know people who were affected." That is a wild ride. Because think about it, not only five thousand kids, five thousand parents.
1: No, I'm not going to think about it. Don't tell me what to think about. So, I'm going to do a story that is the Black Widow of Lomita. (gasps) Okay. I got my info primarily from a totally rad Dateline app. Yes. um, Supplemented by some Sun and some LA Times info. I'm going to jump right in here, folks. On a blind date at a barbecue. (gasps) Starts out great, right? Because you're like, I already want to be that.
0: Optimistic, fun. It's... We're in the depths of winter hell right now. So, I want to be at a barbecue. I want to be at a BBQ.
1: Larry Riskin, a Navy commander, met Sonia Rios. For Larry, it was like he was into her. She's super cute. She's Filipino and adorbs. It was love at first sight. But his sister right away was like, ah, this Sonia seems like trouble. She felt weird. She felt like something wasn't right. Sonia was from the get go of the relationship pretty secretive about her past, and all Larry's family knew was that she had some sort of previous marriage and divorce, that she was sixteen years older than Larry was. I'm not throwing shade about that. She's a cougar. That's fine.
0: Is sixteen a cougar? Is sixteen years a cougar?
1: Uh sixteen it feels depends. substantial what? to how old me, was but was she
0: how old was he when you met they met? Do you know that? But she has no, a No, but if I had past. to guess,
1: I would say, like, 40 and 56.
0: Okay. Yeah, I think that's cougar territory that's,
1: that's about what they were. So her friend, Henry Hoskins, who was this uh, bail bondsman, he'd been friends with her a long time. And he always described her as, um, there was always a story with it. A story is probably the best description of her, he said.
0: Well, that's mysterious. That is
1: the most mysterious description. So, I'm like,
0: story I'm the like, in
1: Henry Hoskins. There's always a mystery within a description.
0: Hey, Henry, can you
1: elaborate? Can you get a little more specific, Henry? <laughs> I can't. He I did can say only talk she about... drove a Corvette. She was a successful businesswoman, and I think she came up the hard way. That's what Henry has to say about his friend, and that's that's pretty true, Henry, because uh, Sonia owned a thriving beauty salon in Lomita, California. <laughs> Wait, which she grew I'm so up.
0: sorry. I just have to interrupt, and I have to say, I'm like, what's gonna happen here? But you just started the story with it's the Black Widow of Lomito. so I feel like, okay,
1: <laughs> yeah, you know where this is going. I know where there'll this be
0: some going. Moving on, there'll be twists I and turns. But it's, that it took me a long time. It is going where
1: you think it's going, folks. <laughs> I'm not going for mysterious mysteries the same way. I, I'm not Henry Hoskins. I can't wrap everything in a mystery. And shrouded inside of an enigma. That's not me. That's Henry you're thinking of.
0: (laughs) True, 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 true. So So she had a hair salon?
1: Yeah. She was, uh, she grew up, though, like, poor in the Philippines. And the thing is, she grew up, like, down the road from Sangley Point, which was a U.S. naval base. She didn't move to the States till the 1960s. And Hoskins, or Henry, my Mm -hmm. friend, he said that she was always super into uh, servicemen. And I don't know if that has to do with type or... That's her type, man. She's into she it. She loves a, man, she in a man in uniform. okay?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Also, though, he said that she was into the social events and stuff of the military. I think she liked the idea of being a military wife a lot. She would have loved Lifetime's reality show, Army Wives. She would have. That would have been her top show. They get married the year after they meet her and Larry, which would have been in... They were married in 1990. I read somewhere that they had... I love this. Three separate ceremonies.
0: Ooh. Yeah, 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 yeah.
1: did it. Get ready for this. His family wasn't invited to any of them. And he was super close to his family. So that was, uh, oh that was a real issue. Every time they were supposed to go see his family, she was like, I'm sick. So they like never did. And then his family would Ooh, get mad flag. and talk shit about her. She would have a thing where she'd be like, they don't like me. And she'd talk shit
0: about them. Spoiler alert. If someone is not inviting your family to your wedding, unless it's... if somebody else is not invite It's a deal breaker, news, folks.
1: It's a deal breaker. Something else is going... That's a story within a story. So, Sherry... Okay, you'll love this. Larry's sister is Sherry. Larry and Sherry. <laughs> Sherry's Do have a like there, too? No, you wish. Sherry does know from the get-go, as we talked about, that fucking Sonia's trouble. And she is like, Larry was so close to everybody in the family, and then... There's all this distance created from Sonia. Mm-hmm. Sonia clearly runs the family. Where's the pants? She's bossing him around. He seems a little bit scared of her. At one point, Sherry's like, I'm going to go visit. She and a friend of hers go visit Larry. And Sonia fucking locks them out of the house so they can't get in one night. No. And Larry's not around. And then she spins some kind of crazy story about why it happened to Larry. And that... As you can imagine, was upsetting enough for everyone involved that it totally breaks down the familial relationship and they stop seeing each other and speaking. No. So now Larry's alone in this marriage, which starts to become a pretty shitty marriage. I think it's already been a shitty marriage. Well, So Sonia was never very forthright with Larry about her age. Okay. So he had wanted kids. And it starts to be clear that's not going to be a thing. Plus, she's, like, really emasculating towards him, and they don't have sex anymore. Mm -hmm. So, if he wants a family, like, what's he doing in the relationship? Yeah. They go back to the Philippines a fair amount to visit her family, and he meets her brother's grandchildren or something. They're, like, I think they call her auntie. Yeah. Um, And their kids... That are, they're probably 10 and 12 or something. Okay. And their names are Jetmark and Quincy with a Z. Quincy. Cool. Um, cool names, right?
0: Very cool. Jet- I love it. Jet- Jetmark.
1: I, I like especially. Jetmark. He was super close to Larry. He like called him Papa and they'd go visit and Larry was like, I want to adopt them and I want to bring them back to the States. And it was not adoption in the style of that. Georgia tan bitch. Yeah. It was not a see you next Tuesday adoption situation. He was like, I'm going to love these kids like they're my own. I'm going to give them better life, more opportunities. And the kids were super into it. And you would think that could have been a really beautiful future for this whole family. But he's kind of like put Sonia in charge of it. Not because he's lazy, but it's her relations. Mm -hmm. So it would be quite easy for her to sort of fill out the correct paperwork and start putting the things in motion that need to be in motion. Yeah. But been a year and he's like how's that coming and then it's been another year and he starts to be like that's weird this should be really easy and much more straightforward and he comes to find
0: out were they her kids
1: no 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 worse well whatever relatively worse it turns out she was sabotaging the process and deliberately making sure that they weren't able to adopt the kids so that's so devastating to him And then he starts, I think, having feelings for a friend. So he's like, I'm just out of this. I'm out of this. I want a divorce. Yeah. And she's like, okay, we can get a divorce. I need you to go to the Philippines, though, for me. And I need you to sell my taxi business. I have a taxi business there. And I need you to take care of that before we get divorced. I need your help. That's a really weird request. But he's like... He's
0: like, I want out, so I'll do whatever.
1: And Jack Mar... uh, Jet Mark and... Quincy are still there so he's like yeah I'll fucking go to the Philippines I'll see the kids I fucking love and I'll get the business taken care of he flies to the Philippines Uh and he's there and he's hanging out with her whole family as he always did because that's who he stayed with when he went and one of Jetmark and Quincy's cousins has like really bad eye infection or her eyes like almost totally swollen shut and he's like we gotta take this kid to the hospital so they're getting ready to take her Jetmark hears one of his relatives on the phone with Sonia say we're we're actually leaving we're going to the hospital and explaining that they park in the back of the hospital the little girls treated and they all at about 7 p.m. at night get back in the car to drive home and as they're driving a motorcycle drives up to the side of the car shoots Larry no shoots him in the head shoots him in the stomach terrible places to get shot but also geographically not the worst place in the world to get shot they are still right by the fucking hospital but they go into the hospital it's too late and he dies and he's 43 years old and jet mark sees the whole thing
0: no it's a
1: nightmare The middle of the night, Sonia is back in the States in California. She calls her next door neighbors and is like, My husband, who they know, of course, Larry, has been killed. They come over to comfort her and she's like, You tell his family. She makes them tell his family. What? Yeah. Meanwhile, when they, as soon as they tell the family, Sherry's like, Oh, fuck no. So she calls the police and she's like, You go to that house right now. Because this woman, Sonia, has something to do with this. So Sonia is, like, affecting a very upset demeanor mm-hmm. about losing her husband and probably bad acting all over the place. Just um, overdoing
0: it. No, to self. But take it's, like, not that before. scary
1: for her. She's in California, and this guy just got shot in the Philippines. Like, it's just not. It's not They're not, not like, let's take her in. You know what I mean? <laughs> she goes back to work right away. They find out there's a witness to the shooting, but they feel like they can't identify the suspects. So there's just all these dead ends. Sonia does make the decision she's not going to pay to fly his body back to the States. She instead has him cremated in the Philippines. So his family does not get
0: to mourn him, to
1: have his body back, to do a funeral. They don't get his ashes. The detectives that are trying to figure out what happened start to dig and look at Sonia's history. And it turns out she had another husband, which we kind of talked about at the beginning that she had been divorced before. She said her previous husband was killed nineteen years earlier in the Philippines. His name was Duke Earl John Bordeaux. He was like a sweet good Midwestern kid from Iowa. Great name. Great Bordeaux name. is a good name, as we know. So in likes the military, her. indeed, Marine. Okay. He was stationed in the Philippines. He met Sonia. He brought her back home to Iowa. Guess what? She didn't get along with his family.
0: Weird.
1: So they settled, not in Iowa, but in Southern California. And she opened her salon at that time. And Duke opened a bakery. Sounds like an amazing, perfect life. sounds
0: like a good guy.
1: He's a great guy. And I don't know that much about him. But his brother Dennis was featured a lot on the show. And Dennis is adorable. Of
0: he he is, is the uncle
1: you always wanted. Of course with gray he is. hair and sideburns. And he didn't stand up during it, but I felt he was short in a way that I liked. <laughs> so Dennis is like, yeah, everyone was scared of Sonya getting mad. She was a nightmare. The marriage was deteriorating and Duke was like, Let's get divorced. You suck. And like, she was like, guess what favorite. she said? Yeah. One little favorite. Oh, totally. One thing. Can you just go to the Philippines really quick and sell my taxi business.
0: Fuck. And, <laughs> do you think she's bugged the whole time when someone's like, sell the taxi. We're go. Yeah. <laughs> like the hitman is like, so sure, 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 sure.
1: So he's like super depressed about it. Duke. And he's like, all right, I'll do that. And Dennis said to Duke, I wouldn't go. And Duke said, well, I'm not you. And then he went. And at one point, Dennis was going to go with him. Doesn't go with him. He goes. He lands. It's an August night. He shows up at Sonia's house late, falls asleep on the couch, and he gets shot, execution style, while he's asleep. And it's... How have the police not resolved that murder? It's a great question. So, didn't look like a break-in. They brought in... Sus- what, what? Okay, so here's what the police did when that happened. They basically, they brought in suspects, it was hard to find sort of the ins and outs of this case, but there were five suspects brought in. Every single one of them was related by blood to Sonia. They're all her family members, no, essentially. Thank you. One of them had blood all over him. What? Like, it's just, it's so dumb. What happens is they bring them in, they file a case against them, and then it got dismissed because Sonia fails to attend the hearing. And that's why it gets dismissed, as if that's the order of operations where like it's almost like she would have had to press charges is the vibe and she doesn't so nothing happens it just disappears okay, that makes i know sense so the big suspicion here in the philippines when you ask people about it the police there is that they're like yeah there's pretty much a suspicion that people were paid off to make the case go away and the guy they were interviewing about it was like yeah he was like, well, what happened there? And the guy's like, magic. People were paid to go away. And I'm like, oh, you call that magic? Um, we call that bribery and corruption, <laughs> but fair.
0: But maybe Potato, it's Potato,
1: <laughs> as Matt would say. <laughs> Patio, Potato, Potato, paternal. paternal Sonia gets Duke's fucking six-figure estate after he dies. and Dennis, that money
0: is like millions of dollars.
1: One million dollars. I don't know how much it is.
0: Dennis calls
1: this lawyer and spends like thousands of dollars because he's basically like, All right, I've not, I have no recourse, but I'm going to try to put some heat yeah. on Sonia. So he's trying. He gets 200, over 200 death threats while he's doing that.
0: From people in the Philippines?
1: He, well, he doesn't know from who. It's like anonymous letters and phone calls, but of course it is. He's putting all his energy and oh trying my to bust God. her. So she's getting people to, Go after him.
0: So he reports Sonia to the
1: local police. He reports her to FBI. He's going after her. And then he's like out fishing one day on his fishing boat. No, no,
0: no, 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 no. And
1: he sees something hitting the water beside him. Totally bullets. Totally sees a shooter hiding in the bushes that like then runs away. And then later by his house. Same story sort of. He's, like, out by his garage. Just really bad aim. Somebody tries to... Yeah, it's, thank God it's not... Like, they didn't send John Wick, so he's fine. Oh,
0: my God. But like, what carelessness? I mean,
1: it's almost comical. It's like, ridiculous. Like, someone be like, ah, shit, I missed him. Dang it. Ah, oh, I'll go get <laughs> him go, by his... Ah, go. dang <laughs> it. Missed him again. It's very clumsy stuff happening. Oh but, like, they did kill a guy, like, execution-style in his sleep. They're not necessarily... At Target practice every day.
0: Holy shit.
1: All this happens, and nobody does jack shit. (laughs) Then, years later, guess what Dennis reads about? Larry fucking Riskin, and he's like, the same shit happened to my brother, and she just did it to somebody else. No fucking way. So he's like, you got to look into this girl's past. So they do, and they're like, yeah, Okay, so she did burn down a hair salon to get the insurance money a few years back. And she definitely, we have proof that she does all her business transactions in cash. She has stolen people's social security numbers. She's launched frivolous lawsuits to get money. You just start seeing this pattern of behavior where this woman was doing everything she could to get get money. And it didn't matter what that was ever. So nine months after Larry's murdered, his sister, our friend Sherry, starts getting weird emails sent to her. What? Emails that say that, like, this is a relative of Sonia's and that they know that Sonia was responsible for Larry's death and that they know how to get the ashes.
0: Was this Jetmark?
1: No, Jetmark would never do that. How dare you?
0: But jet to, jetmark
1: is a dove and an angel. Well, I
0: thought this was like a nice thing. Get like, ready. I know it They're was. They're like,
1: we have Larry's ashes. Come to the Philippines. Thirty five thousand dollars we will get them. To oh, you. then
0: that was definitely not jetmark. Jetmark
1: would never. He would ever, never.
0: He would never ever ever.
1: The emails were signed John Bordeaux, which was weird because I don't know if you remember. Yes, that's,
0: of course I remember John Bordeaux. That's Duke's
1: last name. Yeah, it was Duke something something Duke Earl John Bordeaux. I think was his name or something. Well, basically, he's like, I'm okay. Sonia's son, writing to Sherry. I'll get the ashes for you if you give me $35,000. And she's like, this is a rando con artist situation, but I'm going to keep playing nice because I don't know what kind of information I'm going to get, and I do want yeah. those fucking ashes. The weirdest thing is, there she, he's like, I'm Sonia's son. Larry never knew she had a biological son, and... I was her biological son even before she met Duke, but Duke adopted him. Adopted him, and I took his last name. So she writes back, Chummy, being like, "Ah, thirty-five thousand. I don't know." And then he's like, "Well, I could do another thing for you for thirty-five thousand. I'll do anything to get the thirty-five oh, Oh, I know what I could do.
0: Right. T- I could get proof on.
1: I'll kill Sonia. Do you want me to kill Sonia?" I'll kill Sonia.
0: His mother.
1: Yes, for thirty-five thousand dollars is what he writes. So this
0: person really wants thirty-five thousand dollars. Very
1: particular number. I'll be your lifetime court jester. I will be a dog walker. <laughs> I will, um, and then I'll kill write this woman the next who you great hate. American novel and read it only to you out loud and backward. Like he's just like, but what will thirty-five thousand like put? I'll I do any. Add some more. So all this nonsense is going on. She's like panicked about getting these emails doesn't understand them she's sharing them with the police as she's getting them she was never like
0: oh maybe i'll do it let me just chit
1: chat with this psycho
0: this crazy person then
1: on april 26 2007 the police receive a call from a young man saying my mother is lying in a pool of blood and she's been killed the person's very upset my mom's dead they show up she goes killed in her bathrobe she was shot execution style the person that is dead is Sonia. She was shot to death in her bathrobe, in her house. It doesn't look like anyone broke in. It looks like they got in the house, killed her, and left. They didn't take anything. There was $1,700 in her purse. Sonia, get a Venmo account. (laughs) So her nephew, Eric De La Cruz, shows up at the crime scene and he's Dying to tell them what he thinks happened. We were super close. But I
0: need (laughs) (laughs) $35,000.
1: He was a sailor. And he had just arrived home. He loves a uniform. Yes. We all love uniforms. He just arrived home from a tour of Asia. He was super close to his aunt his whole life. And he tells the detectives, listen, this is her son that did this. This is John Bordeaux that did this. And they don't need to look far because guess who called the police? John Bordeaux, Bordeaux. and he's right there. They look through the house, and the first thing they notice, there's no fucking pictures of her and her son anywhere. There's no pictures of her son in her house. She does not have—it's like he doesn't exist to her. They bring him in. He seems, like, a little bit more anxious than he does emotional. I mean, he's emotional, but he's very anxious. He had always sort of been, like, an outcast in the family. He never met Larry. She never introduced him to Larry. That's kind of weird. They do a polygraph test, which I think we all know that that's just be, a
0: Yeah.
1: Hobby. <laughs> it's like they took him to throw axes at a target. It's like, to me, I'm always like, really? That's a what polygraph? you guys do? No. It must just be. I mean, at this point, it's let's just admit it. It's like an intimidation technique, and that's all it fucking exactly is. Exactly right. They ask him what he thinks happened, and he's like, I think Sherry did it. Larry's sister. She, she fucking hates Sonia. Sure. I mean, she does so, have motives. Um, yeah, she has a motive. And then um, they go and talk to her and they talk to Dennis. And Dennis, Dennis did is you... like. It was so funny. They were like, Dennis, do you, um, would you ever want Sonia dead or would you ever have murdered Sonia? And he was like, oh, in a heartbeat. <laughs> that was his answer. <laughs> I love Dennis. Um, he had an alibi, obviously. De- the detective is Detective Rodriguez is his name. He's running this case. He is going after Bordeaux emotionally and making him take multiple polygraph tests. And Bordeaux never breaks, never changes his story. During the polygraph, though, I was watching some of the video of them giving him the polygraph. And at one point he's asked, what do you think your mother ever did wrong to you? And he goes, I guess she didn't love me enough. Meanwhile, Eric De La Cruz, super invested. He becomes, like, friends with Rodriguez. Friends, that's a loose term. He's calling him a lot, and Rodriguez is calling him for information. They're trading ideas a lot. And he's like, you've got to keep looking into John, her son. Also, they find out while they're looking into everything that two strange incidences happened over the past month or two at her salon before this murder. A guy called in to the salon to ask to get a haircut. And made an appointment and then came in. And when he came in, Sonia was freaked out by him. Also, he had a military haircut. And she was like... She was aroused
0: and freaked out?
1: Both. <laughs> you know how that goes. They go hand in hand. But she She's was like... like military haircut. Well, she was also just like, you don't need a haircut. Your hair is really short. Oh, there's
0: that, yeah. So I she was, just... was
1: like, why is this guy here? And she kind of like made an excuse that she only cuts women's hair and got him out. He showed up again and... Tried to shoot her, she says, from the parking lot. Like tried to shoot her, so she called the police and was like, "Somebody just tried to shoot me." When they came, she's like, "Somebody just tried to shoot me." It's this guy that wanted a haircut. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, how badly did he want it? I mean, pretty badly. Here's his phone number. The reason I have it is because is because I wrote it down. Appointment. Well, she yeah. She saw it when it came in and she wrote it down when she made the appointment for him. So she had it written down. So they start looking at that phone number because a week after that, she was dead. The phone number leads back to this guy, Fernando Romero. He has vanished. They can't find him. They don't know where he's at. But uh, they look at his call history because they have his phone number. So they can yeah, look at... Yeah.
0: They do things.
1: They There's a forensic
0: things. thing they do. There's these
1: things police do to do things.
0: And they do detectives. Things.
1: And they do do it. But they do they do, do it. their due diligence and they do their duty and they did this.
0: Cuz they're detectives.
1: Yes. So when they look at the call log, they're like, "Let's try to find if this guy ever called John Bordeaux." So they're looking through it and they don't see that as one of the numbers. Well, detective fucking rodriguez this is a made for tv movie that this happened he says while he was looking for the numbers his phone rang and he looked down at the number on it and And it was john bordeaux's number that number matches the number of the person calling me right now matches a bunch of numbers on this call log that fernando made and that fernando received and guess who was fucking calling him it was john bordeaux it was fucking eric de la cruz the loving nephew that was like, information, information, offer, offer. Got to look into the sun. And he's like, uh, hang on a second, Eric. I like to picture. He's like, oh, uh, hello. Um, uh, <laughs> this can I, is acting. I please uh, put you on hold. Um, uh, Eric, it's so good to hear from you. I just, uh, I have to, I have to pee pee. I'll be right back. And he looks. And not only have they called each other a bunch, but they called each other a bunch Right before and after the murder took place. So he starts doing a little bit of a deep dive. They start looking at the Sherry emails from John Bordeaux. I just put that in quotes, dear readers. And they start looking into the IP addresses. And they're all from all the fuck over the place because they're from ports in Asia and Hong Kong and Korea and they're fucking Navy IP addresses. And you will recall that Eric was a sailor, and he yes. was aboard the USS Ronald Reagan. Guess who else was a- aboard that ship? Fucking Fernando Romero. They were both aboard it. Not only that, they were in the same berth. They hung out together. They were pals. Eric Eric was John Bordeaux a real person? Yeah, John Bordeaux's the son.
0: And where was he during all this? He's the
1: one that called the police and that they were fucking giving the polygraph to and being like, you did this, you killed your mom. And he was like, nope, she didn't love me a lot, but nope, <laughs> didn't kill her. They went after him.
0: Oh. Like,
1: hard. Like, they broke him in a way that he was already a broken person and felt unloved and like, an outcast.
0: Oh.
1: And he had a cuckoo mom. And, and his then she got killed.
0: dad was murdered. No, it's oh.
1: over and over again for this guy. John had a bad life. And Eric tried to pin all this shit on him. And once they start realizing that, they look into it and come to find out she was killed on, like, a Friday night. So, yeah. Guess who showed up at her lawyer's office before it even opened Monday morning? Eric. Eric. And guess what he asked?
0: What does her will say? would she
1: fucking leave me? Guess what the answer was? Nothing. Nothing. She left it all to John. Oh. <gasps> Killed her for nothing, you dumb-dumb. And then he's probably like, oh, if I can find a way to pin this on John and put him in jail, maybe something will come to me.
0: Oh, my gosh. This is this story is so many turns. I'm on a roller
1: coaster. I know. You're on a roller coaster. It's not time to get off yet. No, because I don't know in. who killed her husbands. Well, we don't know. Oh, we don't know? But definitely her pals. Her family. Bummer. I don't know. I know. I I'm know. bummed that that's like an unsolved, but a solved.
0: That's not solved. That's not closure for that poor family. Did they ever get his ashes back?
1: No, and they went there. Sherry went there and tried to get them, even on Dateline, and couldn't get them.
0: <gasps> so she had a film crew and everything.
1: Yeah, so you were like, surely she'll get them, and we'll have. They to... won't
0: include this unless there's a happy end. Oh, right? No, no, nope.
1: unhappy. So the detectives keep basically pretending to be friends with Eric. Meanwhile, they're just, like, getting all this information on him, and then they finally bring him in, and they show him a picture of Fernando, and they're like, do you know this guy? And Eric, like, panic attacks and is also like, that guy didn't do it, and gets super shady, um, starts stuttering. They start to tell him, like, we know about the IP addresses. We know it was you that was sending the emails. He just denies denies, but in a not Convincing way. way.
0: The polygraph would go
1: haywire. And they sort of track him all around uh, till they get enough evidence, and then they finally arrest him, and he keeps being like, "You've got the wrong guy." But he and Romero were convicted February seventeenth of first degree murder and conspiracy to commit murder, and they were sentenced to twenty six years to life. And I think that was in two thousand eleven. And that's the story of the Black Widow of Lumida, and it's crazy because she
0: That's was not even the bad
1: the- guy, and then she was the victim. And even in the court case, when she was the victim and they were trying to talk about it as a murder, it was weird because they had to also be like, let's be clear. She's awful. (laughs) Look, she definitely killed her two husbands, but this guy also killed her. And it was weird because it seemed like both the defense and the prosecution were like, let's admit it. She's pretty shitty. She had truly just a taste of her own medicine where a child that she was close to her entire life and saw grow up and was always good to turn around and did the same thing to her. And it's not a,
0: you a happy like ending, nature but there's something nurture. weird
1: where you're like, there's some sort of justice that happened there. Yeah, Where you, you definitely don't feel bad for sort of any of them at the end of the day, other than the families of uh, Duke exit, and of Larry yeah. and what they went through. And I fucking love them. I love you, Sherry. I love you, Dennis.
0: I'm so sorry this happened to you.
1: I still, it's frustrating because neither of them really got the closure they needed or wanted either. Yeah. Although I think maybe there was some closure for them in Sonia being killed and Sonia being killed by someone that she trusted that she tried to do good things for. Because that is exactly what happened to Duke. And that is exactly what happened to Larry. They were really... Loving good husbands to her and she fucking killed them.
0: Ugh, the lesson of this story is bat, 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 I don't bat, know if bat. there's a lesson. Well, It's like don't be really nice and loving and do nice shit. You'll just get murdered. Oh, I thought it was eat your vegetables. Should <laughs> I tell you that um, I
1: finished an amazing podcast Root of Evil it was called. It was amazing. I recommend it. And I started a new one called Cold that i think i'm gonna love i've been listening to a lot of podcasts this week because it's been i've been trying to hit the gym and it's my only motivator really yeah if i have like a good podcast going on i will gladly work out longer just to keep listening to the podcast um i also heard an awesome interview uh, do you listen to uh what the fuck Mark WGF, Maron, yeah, Mark Maron podcast. I
0: haven't in a while. Yeah, I mean, I'm. I'm listening to a of lot of political stuff podcast.
1: right now. I listened to his interview with Lisa Kudrow this week. <gasps> she's
0: amazing. Yeah, she's incredible. And she was
1: talking about how she has like a little bit of anxiety in crowds, and I relate to that. And how she always has um, a feeling of success when you're in a busy place, and you leave before the mass exodus happens. Yeah. And you, like, get out, and you're just like, ah. And it reminded me... I just started laughing. It reminded me... It is unrelated, but related, of seeing the show Mama Mia with my father. My dad always, <laughs> when we would go to shows <laughs> in Denver, we'd go to the Denver Center and see, like, Broadway plays there yeah. that were coming through on tour. And my dad... As soon as curtain call, as soon as, like, the vibe of curtain call started happening, my dad would run out of the theater to get the car. Because then he could, like, get it out of the parking garage and meet us on the street and we'd get to jet quick and we would miss, like, the long line of leaving the parking garage there.
0: That's, like, a, is your dad into sports?
1: No. Because that's a sporting move. Well, it was also, like, he doesn't care for a curtain call. But what was so funny is I remember that was his thing, and he felt, like, really good about it. It felt like a hack, like a dad hack, just like, (laughs) we're doing this efficiently. Um, It's efficient. Yes. And I remember we went to see Mamma Mia, and we were three songs into the show. And my dad goes, I'm going to go get the car. And I was like, dad, there's Wait. a whole nother, there's an intermission and a whole nother half. <laughs> and we're three sons. In. And he goes, do you think you'll stay after the intermission to see the second half? And I go, I don't, I don't know, probably. And he goes, okay. And he thought about it and he's like, I'll just circle. I'll circle. He really no. didn't want to see what mama Mia had to offer. Larry does not like, my dad's but- name's Larry. Um, no relation to Larry Riskin. He does not like ABBA, it turns out. That's not his cup of tea.
0: Three songs in. I'm going to go get the car. Uh, I'm going to go get the car. <laughs> it's just a circle. Dad, it's the overture. It's the big <laughs> Dad, it's the overture. There's an intermission. Mm, hard pass. Mm, <laughs> I'll circle. I'll... Hopefully it's a big fucking block to circle. It's gonna be a
1: race car. <laughs> it's so many times. <gasps> oh, Could have gone God. home and taken a nap and come back for us.
0: Your whole family was there?
1: Uh, It was me, Brianna, and my mom. (laughs) And at intermission, somebody proposed to somebody else. And my mom was standing next to me. And she goes, oh, gross. Can you imagine being proposed to at this? (laughs) And the guy standing next to her and I turned to her and goes, that's my brother. (laughs) And my mom turned bright red. And then the guy goes, "Just kidding." And it is stupid to propose here. And then we like loved him. It was like the most immediate turn. I love moments like that where somebody's like, "I'm gonna make you feel so weird and bad." Just kidding. I'm on your side.
0: Do you feel the same way about the guy that said, "Get your face out of your fucking phone," and then said, "You okay?" Did you like that turn? What was the same guy? (laughs)
1: He comes he keeps back. coming in and out of my life. he's
0: coming back. Yeah. And that's he knows what callback. works.
1: He knows what works. And he doesn't do anything for
0: a callback. He, does, he followed you from Denver to New York to just get your face to fucking food. You're right. I really like that. I feel like it takes a lot to get your mom, too. It, I think that, right? It would take a lot to get your mom. Yeah. She liked that, though. So that's good. She's a
1: dark humorist. That's a power herself, move. So. And I like it. Yeah.
0: Me, too. God, that's fun.
1: Let's say goodnight to these folks.
0: Hey. Well or good afternoon or good morning or Good Day. A good day. If
1: you're from uh Australia and you have a fake accent that doesn't match where you're from, then you would say that.
0: <laughs> then that is exactly what you would say. Good day.
1: <laughs> we hey love dear you guys. readers.
0: Thanks for coming to visit with us. Like, subscribe, rate. Tell your friends. Hide your kids. Hide your wives. <laughs> and write to
1: us. We want to hear um, your cougar stories. We want. Stack. Yes, yes,
0: yes, 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 Creepy cougar stories. Thanks for joining us. We miss you. We miss you so much. Bye. Bye. Bye.